Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now for something a bit different. Take a look around your town or city. What do you see? One thing I can nearly guarantee that you see is their election. Empty buildings, unused spaces, overgrown areas, boarded up houses. Look at the various shop fronts in your town or city. And above them, on the first floor, or even in some cases the second floor, more often than not, they're empty. Or at least silent. They may be used for something, but I think it's fair to say that most of them are not being used as a living quarters for anybody these days. My guests today have a thing about their election and specifically how you can turn it into something vibrant and alive. Jude Sherry and Frank O'Connor are urban designers who lived abroad for a couple of decades, bringing their expertise to cities and urban spaces across Europe and further afield. They returned here two years ago and are now living in Cork City. Bucking a trend that's been there for 20 or 30 years anyway, this couple actually pitched their tent in the centre of the city near Shandon on the north side. From their base, they've spent a lot of the lockdown walking around and effectively mapping the city, identifying in particular derelict sites and imagining how they can be used. So far, and we'll get into this with them in a minute, within, I think it's around a two kilometre radius of the centre island in Cork, they have identified over 300 derelict buildings. Their job, and I suppose maybe even their passion, is to imagine these sites transformed into vibrant hubs and how exactly to go about actually bringing that to fruition. Now, while Jude and Frank are concentrating for the moment on Cork, the principles of this thing, I have to say, apply right across the country. We have a housing crisis. We're facing into challenging times with energy and reducing carbon. And we have a problem with decline in rural Ireland. And if I can say I've been banging this drum for a while myself, but one step in addressing most of these things is the repopulation of our towns and cities and doing so these days in a sustainable manner. So as they say, there's both eating and drinking in this for everybody right now. Jude and Frank, you're very welcome to the podcast. Lovely to meet you, Mick. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for having us on. Not at all. Tell me to start, what exactly you do for a living and how you ended up in Cork? Okay, well... um we basically work in an area of design for sustainability. Uh, we've worked on a product on an urban basis and uh, basically work with everything from governments to businesses to to education institutes, uh, basically helping organisations to realise the value of the resources, whether that's uh, from a product perspective, 
in terms of materials that go into products or whether it's a built environment. So we've kind of basically been working all over the world over the last uh, 20 years and um, basically kind of ended up uh, moving back to Cork a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of years ago, we were, I suppose we were living in Amsterdam at the time and we were looking to move on from where we were living. So we were scoping out different cities across Europe um, and visiting different cities to go to see where to, to base our new home. And for a number of reasons, we, we came to Cork and um, we fell in love. We fell in love, especially with the people of Cork. The friendliness of Cork really, really captured our, our, uh, our attention um, and our hearts. And especially then the unique her- built heritage of Cork as well. Yeah, so I suppose, yeah. So that was it really, yeah. I suppose we kind of made a big move then in the end of 2018. And Frank, you mentioned that word product. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so basically for us, I mean... Our, our main interest is resources, really, and resources can mean materials and they can mean people. And I suppose for us, it's always about helping, you know, our clients to realise the value of that. So on a product basis, we would work on all kinds of products, really, uh, making things more long life, more durable, more repairable, you know, getting the right material choices, making sure things have nothing toxic, you know, making sure that, you know, they're designed appropriately for people. So on a product basis, we do a lot of, yeah. I suppose, systems design thinking. So in other words, when you look at a product and you go, what goes into it? How is it going to be used? And then ensuring that the materials and the product itself go on for as long as possible. But if, if the product does come to the end of its life, the materials can go into something new again. You know, so that kind of, it's called life cycle thinking. And and I suppose now, it, I suppose really the term being used across Europe and globally is the circular economy. So that's the latest term being used. So our work over the last 20 years or so would be all about helping businesses to, to, to maximise the value. And, and then on an urban level, we look at what existing resources are available urbanly and whether they can, how they can enhance our lives, how can they make cities more livable and how we can use existing resources and where the gaps are in the use of existing resources. So that's... Yeah, so like on a product basis, the best product is the one that, that lasts for as long as possible. It's repairable. Its life can be extended, and if the materials can't, or if the product can be extended in terms of its life, that it can be recycled back into something new. And likewise, in a built environment, again, long life, the most sustainable building, for example, is the existing building. So, you know, for us, I suppose that's kind of one of the things that we do when we look at products, when we look at uh, urban environments, is that's the kind of lens we hold up. Okay, so I suppose in that sense, one product that's central to particularly what um, you've been involved in in terms of mapping out Cork, is effectively buildings, derelict buildings, disused buildings, that kind of thing. How did you come about it? As I said, I was speaking to you earlier, you mentioned about you did a lot of walking around the city and neither of you, as I understand, are from Cork, so you'd be looking at this sort of thing with fresh eyes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from I'm from Dublin originally, um, so and, Cork and I'm from, quite new. And I'm from the cork Kerry border, so... Probably had a bit more exposure to Cork when I was younger, coming up for, and um, I suppose bars, nightclubs, have a few drinks and stuff. But in sport, but didn't know it that well really. And um, I suppose when we came back, before we moved back, we were into walking cities anyway, Mick. So that's something we do. It's been a kind of something we've combined with our work over the last ten years, where we look at cities by walking them, mapping them. And I suppose we started to do it instantly when we came back to Cork. Yeah. Yeah, so when we came back to Cork, we, we had to start looking at where we were going to live initially. And mm. um, we set a basis for ourselves that we wanted to live within 15 minutes walk of the English market. And so we set a radius around that around that area because um, we want to live, I suppose, car free and um, without the hassle and the cost of running a car, especially because we want to live in a city. So we have everything on our doorstep. We can walk to everything. 
So we started walking all the areas around mm. around the city and what struck us instantly and, and, and it strikes us everywhere in Ireland, as you say, it's not unique to Cork. Being from Dublin, it's it's a major challenge in Dublin City as well, is was the level of dereliction. Um, and the level of dereliction, especially in a in our very uh, historic buildings. Yeah, and I suppose so kind of from day one we walked and yeah. we kind of walked every day and we basically because we were doing this in other cities in Europe anyway, where we'd be taking pictures, uh, having conversations. And of course, in Cork, having conversations is a wonderful part of the fabric of the city anyway. So find out about the history, the heritage, did some research in the library and started to build up a network of people who knew the city very well, architects, designers, uh, community workers, uh, and basically started to get to understand the city. And I suppose we had that kind of fresh eyes because we didn't know the city beforehand, but we were blown away, to be honest. Mm. With the beauty. I mean, that's what struck. I mean, the people were amazingly friendly. I mean, we'd come, we were moving from Amsterdam back to Cork and you're walking down the street and people are saying hello and they're up for a chat. And I love chatting. So that was amazing. But it was the beauty. I mean, we both said like we couldn't believe how the landscape, the architecture. And yeah, there was so much about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose after living in Amsterdam as well, um, Amsterdam, because it's one of the most densely populated cities in Europe. They really use space very well. And from mm. living there, I know that they've had massive dereliction problems, um, a lot of land speculation problems and a lot of housing and homeless problems they've had previously. Now, they solved a lot of those problems. They still have housing challenges because they're so densely populated, but they solved a lot of their dereliction problems back in the 80s and 90s through a series of different measures. So we knew it was tackable. Mm. We knew in Europe we can tackle these problems. And so we set out then to see why why this wasn't being tackled in Ireland so far. Yeah, so I suppose we were kind of coming from two things. One was we shocked about the homelessness, and the second thing was the actual dereliction. And and we felt like a housing forced agenda has been pushed so well in Ireland, and it needs to happen. So we said, look, use our skills more effectively. Let's focus on like our knowledge of buildings and urban environments, and let's focus on the dereliction challenge. Yeah, and as as well, Frank, you started a, a Twitter thread where you um, listed and photographed a lot of these derelict buildings. And it's a fascinating thread, I have to say, because I've a bit of a knowledge of Cork. My, my mother still lives there. My family moved there when I was 16. And I recognise buildings here and there. But the thing is, without the kind of fresh eyes that the pair of ye brought to it, it sort of passes you by. And I, I, would, I would guess it's a lot the same with people who are living there all the time. But when you look at it now, for instance, in your Twitter thread and you realise some of these buildings, first of all, the amount of dereliction, the amount of buildings that are boarded up and that, and some of them, actually, when you stand back and take a look at it, they are fantastic buildings. They're actually, the possibilities there are huge. And I just wonder, the whole thing about that level of dereliction, how does it come about, in your opinion? It doesn't happen overnight, mm. um, but there are some cases where we've seen. What's been amazing is that we're able to go look at the buildings as they are now and look through Google Maps into 10 years ago, what they were like in 2009 when Google started doing their first street views. So you can see a lot of buildings were, were empty then, but some buildings were family homes. Some of them have uh, like swings sets outside them. And within those last 10 years, they've been they've been emptied out. And within that space, then they've actually started to decay and, and rot and collapse. So it, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen uh, over a relatively short period of time. And vacancy, long term vacancy is a massive gateway to dereliction. 
And I suppose from our research, what we found just looking at other countries and stuff that, you know, it's almost like when you have a certain level, there's a tipping point and, and then the direction seems to increase. It's almost people begin to accept it maybe culturally. And so suddenly, you know, you might start with a few buildings in the street and before you know it, a lot of the streets taken over. And that's always a danger. And I suppose what we were kind of observing as we were walking around was, you know, certain parts of the particular are being hit worse. But also we, we started thinking a lot. What's the impact on the people who live in those streets that every day they walk past those buildings? And I suppose that's an area we got particularly interested in and started to look into the kind of impact on quality of life, on well-being, on military health. Uh, but like Jude said, it is kind of there's a number of reasons, but it definitely doesn't happen overnight, you know. And um, and I think you're right there that people, as you said there, you don't realize the scale of it until they're all put together, because if you're living in the city, in order for your meant to maintain a, a decent mental health, you almost have to ignore the decaying buildings around you mm. because otherwise it just gets it gets too depressing and, and, and too much. And there's that causes a lot of other problems. The sense of security and safety is lost um, when you have a lot of dereliction around mm. you. So there's you, you don't feel so safe on the streets anymore. Yeah. So there's there's a whole, I suppose, impact that has on mental health then. Which I suppose is interesting because you mentioned there, Mick, about the two kilometre radius. And I suppose we were influenced a bit by COVID there to set me step. Because I suppose to take a step back, I mean, we started doing this uh, when we moved here in 2018, to be honest. But really COVID kind of kicked in, I suppose, a year ago. And we, we were travelling still for work, you see, because our work was still all overseas and we hadn't built up an Irish client base. And so suddenly COVID kicked in and we were like, oh, my God, you know, it's, we actually can travel to our clients. And and we actually, to be honest, Mick, we didn't know many people in Cork, you know, because yeah. we've been traveling and coming back and we we're meeting people slowly. So it was like, again, that was useful in a way, I think, because it gave us a fresher approach, because if we knew too many people, maybe we wouldn't have carried on. So when we started that thread back in June and we were taking pictures for a long time before that and we were like, what do we do? What do we do? And we started and uh, that's when we started to get to know people. And that's been really unusual over the last. So we know a load of people in Cork now who we've never met, who will converse with us on a regular basis through the thread and share stories. And also as we walk around, obviously within COVID restrictions, we'll meet people. And I think that's the bit that gets us is we'll meet like someone maybe in our in our 70s or 80s, some lovely woman who talked to us about the properties on our street and how it frustrates her. And, Absolutely. you know, and so we document those stories as well, you know. Am I correct that one factor here has been the trend both in cities and towns for people to head for either the suburbs or the outskirts of the town or this one-off housing where people want their own, they can build bigger way out in the middle of nowhere and that's a, an, an issue of itself that have to be addressed. But what's left behind then is, is that hollowed out feeling and as you say, the big, big challenge I think of the coming decades is going to be to repopulate all those urban spaces. Absolutely. We need to. We need we need to repopulate. We need to get people back into the cities and we need to get people back into densely populated cities for a number of reasons, not just um, sustainability wise. We need to reduce our dependency on car and um, travel. So the closer we are together, the closer we are to work and the closer we are to facilities the better mm. but also it just makes a more efficient delivery for public services too like hospitals and mm. um, gp services schools the, the more people that are closer to those and walking distance of those the better and also just for our, our quality of life actually mm. our quality of life if we live in a, in a good livable city our quality of life can be much higher 
um, having having mm. everything on our doorstep. So living in Amsterdam, where literally everything you could need is on your doorstep, either in a walkable or cyclable distance, your quality of life, your livability of your city is way higher. And then your mental health then benefits massively from that as well. And I suppose on that, we were kind of like, because because of our professional backgrounds, we're walking around, we're making notes, we're taking pictures, we're mapping what we see. But then we're also kind of going, oh my God, this could be actually a wonderful craft place or this could be a lovely place for startups or this could be somewhere like turn this into homes for you know whatever it would be and I suppose that's what we were always doing saying and it's kind of like we keep thinking what a waste you know and like the potential for Cork City and other urban areas in Ireland is amazing but their election has to be tackled to realise it and one of the global trends as you probably know Mick is that people are moving to urban environments so so more and more people will be moving to cities and towns in the next decade you know, and also resources are getting scarcer. So, so you have to be very careful how you use existing resources. So, so for our work, I suppose, in a way, all we've been talking about for the last 20 years is now kind of coming to fruition and saying, well, actually, you know, we have to manage our resources more effectively and we have to bring people back into urban environments. And I suppose, so that's all gone through our head as we so walk for, around. Like, on that level, the embedded carbon in an existing building is so large that actually if you build, want to build an, a similar, more energy efficient building, so a very high rating energy efficient building, for some buildings it can take 80 years to, to claw back all that carbon savings from the energy efficiency. So the best building is the existing one. And in that context, I think, I think am I correct, it's about 340 buildings you identified in that relatively small area. That is, I mean, when you put that in the context of housing alone, Mm. And what's required. One thing that strikes me about it, to the best of your research, how much of that, now, I mean, in, in rough terms now, obviously not specific, would be buildings that are in public ownership of one form or another? There are definitely some in public ownership, but I, I would say the vast majority and we're probably in private ownership. And how come then that, you know, obviously, in one sense, you would have thought that you're talking about you know, real estate that has has a certain value that so many seem to be letting them go to rack and ruin and and there's no, uh, presumably no market there or, or nothing there on the part of sellers that are willing to do up something and make a few bob. It seems a huge amount of waste in one sense. Absolutely. It's a totally agree. It's a massive amount of waste. But from our research, we've seen that there's a, there, there is, the, the, the prices of property is, phenomenal in this mm. country so there's definitely a market to sell and there is a profitable market to sell so we've looked at some of the pricing for housing and um, that's currently on the derelict list and then what it sold for a number a couple just a small number of years later and the profit margin and um, between those different over those years mm. for a very derelict property can be up to 20k a year um, an owner can make so they can you can make substantial money if you sell at the right time and currently with the we're uh, prices for property are rising continuously so you can make a lot of money now on the flip side of that we've bought a 200 year old property in in cork city and that needs a huge amount of work so we have we've put on a new roof but we have to do the floors we have to dig up the floors and put down new floors with Mm. um, insulation and we have to do a lot of repair work inside because it hasn't really been modernized in any any major way there's no heating system for instance so the the house needs a a a massive uh, retro deep retrofit but after all that work, it's still half the price for us to buy an old house in the city centre with a, with a substantial size garden for what we need. Um, that's that's mm. a decent sized three bedroom house for what we need. And um, that's still half the price of a suburban home. 
Mm. So that, that's that's kind of what threw us because we actually got a house that we kind of wanted in the city centre. To be honest, Mick, no one else wanted. We bought this in an auction. We were sitting in our flat in Amsterdam and we were bidding in an auction and no one bid against us. Because it's in a part of the city that maybe people don't want to live and exactly like I said, maybe people want to move outside. So we were kind of like really surprised because if we wanted to equivalent in Amsterdam, we oh, wouldn't have been able to afford it. There's this, no way. There's no way. This close to the city centre in a historic 200-year-old house in Amsterdam, you hmm. can't even get anything. Pre-World War II in Amsterdam is crazy prices. Doesn't that reflect two things about that? The reluctance, certainly at the moment, of large numbers of people to move back towards the city. And one other thing that strikes me about the mapping out you've done effectively is that, and there's some fine buildings, there are some very big buildings, but would I be right that in some instances what owners hope to do is to flog those on the basis that the old building will be levelled and they'll put up a modern apartment block, maybe five, six, seven, eight storeys high, which isn't isn't at all, I think, the ty- fills in with the type of vision that ye have and that ye have seen in, in European cities? Well, we've heard that a lot that people use and um, they let their building go into ruin and let it decay and fall mm-hmm. down in order to have the excuse then to, uh, to renovate it. I suppose it's hard to know whether the intentions of owners without actually anyone telling us that directly I mean, that's what they're doing. But unfortunately, we've seen, since we've moved here, we've seen it... Um, Perfectly structurally sound buildings in Cork being demolished and um, being demolished to be turned into a car park or being demolished to be let let just left as a site. Um, so that's that's a complete waste of resources when you demolish a perfectly structurally sound building and then and then hmm. leave it, leave it empty. Because we went down to basically um, there was a building sort of called Square Deal and we went down to, I suppose we went down overnight basically. Uh, I suppose that's how kind of, I suppose, interested we are in this. And we recorded some of the demolition process that was last, I suppose, last in the last summer. And so we actually spoke to some of the guys who were actually walking there on demolition and they were like really struggling to demolish it. And that was, you know, that wasn't a really old building in terms of historical. It was still 100 years plus, but it was, there was significant architectural features. And I think that's the other thing here as well, is that a lot of the buildings have significant pieces of design or architecture. And I suppose what we're interested in is if you take the Centre Island and I suppose you move to Shandon and you move up to Barrack Street and stuff. It's almost like that's the older sections of the city. If you look at the architecture and the history and the heritage of those, Cork City stands up, not just in Ireland, but internationally. And I think a lot of people in Cork and in Ireland don't realise that. Now, we've learned that from our research and also been fortunate enough to meet some people in Cork who've shared their wonderful knowledge with us. But I think that's something. And I suppose if you can look after that and protect it and refurbish it and repair it. I mean, we've been surprised, haven't we, Jude, with, with the house here. I mean, like, the house here has got so many wonderful features. People don't realise with the older buildings. They're the old sort of walls. So, you know, so heat retention. You have to really work with an old house. And I think a lot of people think an old house, you come in and rip it all out. No, you don't. You know, you work with the qualities. But they were built to last. They were built to last. But how do you get, how do you get to a point where... The, the incentive and the encouragement is to rejuvenate city centres along the lines of what you're talking about instead of this business of, you know, de- de- demolishing a building and building a modern apartment block. And then also with that, you only get one demographic coming in there. Generally, young people, often single people, people who are moving at their first 
house or whatever, rather than intergenerational and people from all generations. How do you move from what appears to be there to the extent that you're getting anyone to live in city centres to a point where what you have seen in, in, in European cities is, is what's the norm now? And I, I think that's a big problem, getting from one of those to the other. Absolutely. We need to start looking at our cities as places where and, and creating spaces that are attractive and, and mm. inviting for people from the age of eight to the age of 80. Mm. So if, if it's a city environment is livable, it's ideal spaces for children and for mm. uh, more elderly people because everything's on your doorstep and the opportunity for children to meet m- loads of multiple people then is, mm. um, is, is really improved. So if we, we need to really start making our cities attractive, attractive places to live. We need to do that by improving our public realm. So having things like, like Amsterdam has amazing little pocket par- uh, playgrounds so there's so many spaces in Cork, mm. so many empty spaces in Cork, in the city centre that can be turned in. Just even small little uh, play areas. It doesn't need to be a huge big playground. So on nearly on every block in Amsterdam has a play area. So if we kind of bring that thinking that mm. we really look at our urban spaces, um, but also if we green our urban spaces as well, if we make bring nature back into the city, that really makes it an attractive space to be because then you're surrounded by nature, you're surrounded by wildlife around that as well. Because we basically, um, I suppose one of the things that we do is we have this very simple model for urban stuff where we have rest, play, work. And the idea is rest, everyone should have a home. Play is everyone should have an opportunity to create, to play and have fun and work access to meaningful purpose of work and I suppose we've been applying that to Cork and we've seen a huge gap in terms of access to affordable houses and houses you know for everyone but also play spaces I mean again like Jude already said I mean Amsterdam every street corner there was somewhere where kids of different ages could engage you know and it's almost giving back to the people the city you know uh, trusting the people that they will look after it and I suppose we're interested in the idea of cities for our people. But going back to the, to the dereliction, like Jude went into crazy amount of detail on the 340 properties. So basically went through all the public data, analysed them in detail, went through all the existing measures as well. So like the thread was, I suppose, has created the conversations and we've done loads of sub-threads around. But the report that we produced around it, I think within that there are a lot of measures for people to actually work and to, to do their houses. And, but there's also a lot of measures for the authorities to, I suppose, implement in terms of moving this on as well. And if we don't, move, I suppose our concern in Cork is if we don't deal with this, not just Cork, right across Ireland, we will lose a lot of what's what's remaining in terms of heritage. And, and combined, we need the heritage buildings and we do also need uh, mid-rise um, new apartment blocks as well. And we need to build apartment blocks that are that are family friendly, that have multiple rooms in them that are adaptable and changeable and have outdoor spaces like balconies or roof gardens. So that, I mean, living in living in Amsterdam, families live in apartments, no problem, if they're designed well, mm. if they have external storage spaces, like in a basement space or in an attic space. And so we need, there's a lot of empty spaces in Cork um, that we can put those infill of modern buildings in as well. So that, that, that mix can be done really well. Absolutely. And I suppose that's, that's been a big thing for us. It's like so traveling, seeing that and going, well, actually, families can be in cities and it's a good thing. And if you start taking some of the traffic out and you start, like, I suppose there's a brand and Cork could have a much stronger international brand if it did a lot of this and not just Cork, right across Ireland. Yeah. And I mean, just on that note, the other thing, and I mentioned it at the start, and it's a thing I've noticed, I've noticed, where I'm originally from in 
so Kerry and I've noticed in other places and, and in Dublin and in Cork in particular and that is over shops living is another area that I think most people go down the main street of their town or city I suspect you will see a huge amount of um, buildings where nobody is living that would make very good living again if you, if you bring the, the, the whole element of bringing people back into the city centre but Again, another problem there is, going back a few years, that the government tried to bring incentives to encourage that sort of thing, and it hasn't taken off. So are you back again to political will and how much incentive is there to, to try and move in this direction? Yeah, it's a combination of things. So there is there is definitely a need for a political will to uh, bring in some maybe stronger uh, sticks in order to... Uh, pressure owners to use their spaces more effectively, but also then um, um, for council or local authorities to bring in what's considered a one-stop shop. Mm. Um, now, I think Orla Hegarty is an architect who done a lot of work mm. on this previously, um, but that idea of one-stop shop that you can go to the council and you can talk to a fire regulator, um, fire officer, you can talk to a heritage officer mm. or a conservation officer, you can talk to a planner. Um, so you can talk to multiple people at one time um, and get the advice you need rather than trying to go to lots of different departments. So make it as easy as possible for owners to um, to utilise their space and, as well. And I suppose what we found is sometimes the, the regulations can be misinterpreted. So you don't have to do... I mean, look, you don't have to take a building like we are living in the moment here and totally modernise everything for it to be, you know, a sustainable yeah. building, you know. And I think that's a concern. People think, oh, well, everything has got to be modern and we have to have all these... And no, actually, like I said earlier, you kind of work with the, with this, with the fabric of the building and stuff. And I, but going back to the shops, make your dead right. I mean, if you think of somewhere like Cork or any other town or city in Ireland, if you had people living in these places, imagine the, for, for the local businesses, for the cafes, for the shops, imagine how much innovation... Imagine how much, how much new stuff would come out, like the vibrancy, the safety. You know, like you walk certain streets in Cork at night, and now we're used to walking the city because we do it all the time. But for a lot of people, I think they're nervous walking certain streets, to be honest, because, oh, yeah. you know. And, uh, but if but, you know people are living there, and you know that they're, they're family homes especially, if you know that they're family homes, then that's a, that, that sense of security and safety is brought back into cities. Do you think, on the base of your experience, that this is inevitable that it is going to happen. It has happened in Europe over recent decades, but there are various characteristics that are unique to this country, some of them not very positive. And, and that's why, and I hope I'm completely wrong, that I'm a bit sceptical. I'd love to see it coming to fruition. But in your experience, you, you've the real experience, is it something that has to happen, particularly in light of everything else, including issues around energy, climate, etc., all of that? I think definitely on on, on the sustainability, climate, resource scarcity and biodiversity, we need to look at cities differently mm. and we need to make them more livable and more attractive, but also for our quality of life. Our quality of life can be greatly improved if we, in Ireland, we spend the most time out of any European country in our cars. That's that's a, mm. a not a very good use of our time and it negatively affects on our mental health and um, because we're dislocated from other people. So to bring us back into cities, I think for quality of life would greatly improve. So we do need to do it. Um, we'd also have, I suppose, worries as well that that we're we're um taking decisions on city levels and town levels across Europe that's uh making that transition to livability much harder 
and and making it a harsher transition when it does happen. Yeah. Because it will happen and it does need to happen. So I suppose that's important. I mean, it needs to be a just transition, you know, and that's that's something to consider. But but definitely it'll take time. But I suppose what we I suppose I think one of the things we talk about a lot is is we need to, to, to I suppose to build a city, the new city, new towns with the communities. And that's that takes time. So really engaging what do people really want? And I think that's something that falls down quite a lot. You know, we've worked on, I suppose, me in particular, I worked in community building projects in other countries. And you, it's a slow process. But if you bring the people with you, I think as we've chatted to people, people do want a different Cork to the Cork that's, that's happening at the moment. And they do. They definitely want a different Cork. But they mightn't be getting a chance to express that, you know. And, uh, and like, I think that's something that's, like Jude said, it's going to happen. But where are we going to lose too much in the meantime and where that kind of leads us? So in the last um, city development plan consultation process, we asked for a citizen assembly for the city because we believe that the people of Cork and mm. in Cork do know, Corkonians do know what they want. And, and we, we would agree with they want they want livable spaces, too. And mm. um, so we've asked for a citizen assembly to bring people together to see what it's the best good, options are. Yeah, be. it's something that makes sense in terms of the type of thing that a citizen assembly could, could really... Um, Mm. could really get their teeth into. Um, just to say that Jude and Frank have written a piece for the examiner. It's not, not published yet, but I, I did a sneak preview. And with their permission, because I I found this fetching in terms of the last couple of paragraphs, it, it's sort of a, a, a projection of what uh, Cork, is, as that is the subject here, might be in 10 years' time. But as I say, um, it would apply right across the board in towns and cities. Just to read this out briefly... Uh, this, as I say, is a projection 10 years into the future if this type of stuff is being able to be brought to fruition. And they write, with many families now returning to Cork City Centre, the sound of cars has been lost to the sounds of children playing. It is now cheaper, more convenient and more sustainable to live in the centre, honing a strong sense of place with intergenerational city living now the norm. Corkonians are thriving from their yearly savings of €10,000 by getting rid of that second car and another 5000 with lower mortgage repayments. They have more money in their pocket every month to spend supporting local businesses and on pastimes. The resulting cafe boom has enabled many small businesses to thrive again after those horrible Covid years. Corkonians have fallen back in love with their city again. This new Cork is livable, safe, healthy, beautiful and productive and has become a global beacon for 21st century urban economic resilience and innovation. This new Cork invites everyone to rest, play, work. Dreams can come true. And you can substitute Cork, even though most Corkonians say that there is no substitute for Cork, but you can substitute that for your own town and city and... I have to say it is a very inviting vision. Jude Sherry and Frank O'Connor, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks very much for having us, Mick. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. And that's it, folks. Uh, I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the Easter break. Take it handy. Stay safe. And we'll see you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.